The following audio is from Maranatha Chapel, located in San Diego, California. For more information about Maranatha Chapel, please visit www.maranathachapel.org. So with that, let's open our Bibles to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 6, as we continue in the Sermon on the Mount. And this morning, Jesus is he's teaching uh, followers, believers, disciples, So now he's going to begin sharing with them about several issues, but uh, especially about prayer. We begin looking at the Lord's Prayer, what we call the Lord's Prayer. But let's pray now. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for today, and thank you for those who are in your house. Thank you for those who are listening in, wherever they may be, joining us. Um, And may we hear what the Spirit of the Lord would say to the church today and to those who are gathered. Lord, I thank you that there are all kinds of people and different backgrounds and experiences who are listening in. And therefore, I pray that you would open their ears and I pray that you would soften their hearts and that the seed of the Word of God would be planted deeply in their hearts, I pray that it would be well watered, cared for, attended like the garden of our soul. And may it bear fruit. Lord, may it bear spiritual fruit. And we just thank you for hearing our prayer. We know you'll answer it. And so we want to say thank you. And we ask all of these things in the name of Jesus. And everyone said, Amen. Okay, so chapter six, we're kind of in the middle or beginning in the middle of uh, the Sermon on the Mount. And Jesus says in verse 1, take heed that you do not do your charitable deeds before men to be seen by them. Otherwise, you have no reward from your Father in heaven. So it's interesting. The first thing we want to look at uh, this morning is Jesus starts talking about people that are charitable and that are generous and that are giving. He kind of assumes that we all give. But he he begins to describe the kind of giving that counts for eternity. There's one kind of giving that only has a very small, brief, temporary benefit. There's another kind of giving, and it really is about that giving that, that touches God is a giving that comes from the heart. So during the high holy days, among the, the feast days of the Jewish people, they were taught by God to seek after three things. Number one, repentance. Um, repentance is just basically you, you realize you're going in a direction that's not bearing fruit. Uh, you've got your back turned to God. And repentance just means turn around and start facing God. By the way, when someone has their back to God and they're going in this direction, God, you know where God is? He's right behind them. <laughs> You can, you can take a thousand steps or move a thousand miles away from God, but it only takes one step. All you got to do is turn around. He's already there because he's already with you and he, he pursues after us and he loves us and, and he welcomes us. So repentance doesn't have to be a big deal. It, it, it literally, we make it a big deal if we hold off and we're like, no, I'm not going to admit I'm wrong for a very long time. But once you, you know, have a breakthrough and you go, yeah, what was I thinking? What was I doing? Okay, I'm going to, you want to hug me? You want to love me? You want to bless me? You're my creator, my father? Okay, yeah. Uh, It becomes a way of life. So repentance and then also prayer 
Those who follow God uh, have a prayer life and then charity or giving to the poor. Now, Jesus assumes that all those who are listening to this message uh, will do all of these things. They will all have a tender heart and be prayerful and be giving. But the problem is not a lack of good deeds. In fact, if you'll see that in some of the crises that we've had recently, there's a lot of charity, a lot of uh, giving that can happen and that can respond. The problem is not a lack of deeds, but what is the heart attitude behind these actions? Now, we'll say this. Um, some people have the idea, they know that they're kind of in debt or that they're not perfect or whatever, and they, they give a lot of money thinking that maybe that will help them towards salvation. But here's what we know about salvation. There's no amount of money and no amount of charitable giving that could ever be equal to or pay for the gift of salvation. Salvation is a gift from God 100%. Amen? It's a total gift from God. So when we give, Jesus says, don't do it for men, but do it from your heart for God. Now look at verses 2 through 4. He goes a little deeper. He says, therefore, when you do a charitable deed, when you're generous, when you are giving, do not sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may have glory from men. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. But when you do a charitable deed, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, that your charitable deed may be in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will himself reward you openly." So our, our sinful nature is so subtle, we don't even realize it, that we can do even good things in order to get the praise of men. And apparently in Jesus' day, there were some that would, you know, kind of parade themselves on a public street corner or whatever, and they've got trumpets that are sounding, and they're making a lot of noise, and, and drawing everybody to look at them as they come up with a big offering, and they dump their big offering. And the reason they're doing it is because all the people on the corner that are watching them go, wow, look how good they are. Look how benevolent they are. Look how charitable they are. Look how much they are giving. Wow. And Jesus said, if that's what you're doing it for and you get all of the wow of people on earth, then don't expect a reward from God. In other words, you have your reward. Now, Jesus said, but if you do it in such a way that you're, you're doing it from the heart, you're not doing it to get applause from men or the praise of men, but you want to say, I want to do this, God, because you have blessed me. Every, what do I have that I did not receive? Every good thing that has come into my life has come from you, and I want to do it in such a way. I, I don't want for men to applaud me. I want them to give glory to you because I am your child and I'm following in your ways. So I'll do it in a more private fashion so that God receives the glory. To God be the glory, great things he has done. Now I want to say that I know there's a lot, look, there's a lot of, you guys are very good and you're very generous and you're very giving and America in general is very charitable. Many gifts. There are many good institutions and various things that go on and Millions and millions of dollars have been given. But the reality is, as Jesus said then 2,000 years ago, it's no less true today that there are some 
people as well as corporations and companies that give in such a way to receive notability that they gave that millions or whatever. And from heaven's perspective, there is no lasting value to that. It has a merely earthly, temporal, brief benefit because they got all of the praise, all the attention, all of the accolades here upon the earth. And I would say, and especially for those who know God and who have a relationship with God, that there is another way that it can be done uh, where Jesus says it's about the heart. And there are those who give, and I would say, unfortunately, it's a smaller group, who do it for the right reasons and with the right heart that will be rewarded by God permanently, eternally. The Bible goes into a lot of detail to describe. I don't know if you, nobody has ever told you this, but we're all going to stand before God. Beyond salvation, salvation is a gift. Okay, so all the saved, they're standing before him. But then there's another thing where we stand before him and we are rewarded, the Bible says, for whatever we did with our faith and with our salvation and will we'll be permanent, eternal, glorious rewards. And Jesus gave a lot of parables and stories about how what you do on earth and the way that you do it and the motivation with which you do it, you are planting seeds that will bear fruit forever and ever and ever and ever. How many want to be part of that? So it's important what we do and how we do. May I also say this, and I... I want to say it to you as family and as members, I, I believe that, bec- you know, with this is so important, the heart, the motivation, the way it's done and why it is done, the motives, millions of dollars have essentially been from Jesus' teaching wasted. It could have been leveraged for so much more. So Jesus is teaching his disciples. Now, let me also add, though, this. Does this mean we can never give in an open way and that if somehow it's known or whatever that that we've given, we lose everything? Must all giving be anonymous? Answer, not necessarily. So I want to turn from Matthew and go to the book of Acts chapter uh, 4 and read to you something about the early church. Acts chapter 4, beginning in verse 34. So this is the church right after the Holy Spirit was poured out. Jesus has just risen from the dead. And we read in Acts 4.34, nor was there anyone among them who lacked anything within the body for all who were possessors of lands. So these are landowners or houses sold them and they brought the proceeds of those things that were sold. So this is big giving represented here in the early church and laid them at the apostles' feet and they distributed to each one as anyone had need. And then he goes on in verse 36 to say, And Joseph, who was also named Barnabas by the apostles, which is translated the son of encouragement, who is a Levite of the country of Cyprus, having land, he was a wealthy landowner, sold it and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. Well, wow, it doesn't get any more public than having your na- not only your name, but your nickname and the country you came from and the tribe that you're with, that you're a Levite, and that you're the son of encouragement. You sold your property and you brought everything and laid it at the apostles' feet, and then it gets put in the Bible for the next 2,000 years for everybody to read. That's pretty public. 
So we don't have to live in fear, like, oh no, somebody heard that we did something, we gave something. We're not, that, that's the other side of a religious spirit. What Jesus is saying is what's most important is what's going on, on the inside. Why are you doing it? Barnabas was sincere. Everybody knew about it, but he didn't make a show of it. Barnabas didn't get a bunch of trumpeters and go on the street corner and make a big deal. Hey, everybody look at me. Because if you get the applause of men and they're all going, ooh, oh, wow. Well, then really, really enjoy that because that's all you're going to get for the rest of eternity. The idea is that we should do it in such a way that God receives the glory and what he desires to do within the family of God, and the benefit will belong to the whole body of Christ. All right, I just, I just wanted to say that. Okay, let's go back to Matthew chapter 6 and verses 5 through 8. Jesus goes on now to talk about prayer. So from giving, how we give, giving for the right reason with the right motivation, now let's talk about prayer. And when you pray, so he's assuming that you, you are followers, believers, you're wanting to pray, So here's how to do it. You shall not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the corners of the streets. In other words, they're outside, they're public, and they're praying loudly before they even get to synagogue or church or whatever. Why? That they may be seen by men. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. But you, when you pray, go into your room, and when you have shut your door, pray to your Father who is in the secret place, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you openly, meaning in heaven, publicly, and by the way, for eternity. And when you pray, do not use vain repetitions as the heathen do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Therefore, do not be like them. For your Father knows the things you have need of before you ask. I love this. Um, Verses 5 through 8. Here, Jesus assumes all his disciples will follow the spiritual discipline of prayer. The times of prayer were based on the times when the patriarchs prayed, by the way, which was morning and then afternoon and evening. In fact, Um, It was kind of established that it would be at 9 o'clock in the morning, at 12 o'clock noon, and then 3 o'clock later in the evening. Uh, Daniel chapter 6, verse 10. We know the story of Daniel who prayed uh, in this pattern that had been established. So let's read Daniel chapter 6, verse 10 out loud. Now, when Daniel knew that the writing was signed, he went home. And in his upper room, with his windows open toward Jerusalem... He knelt down on his knees three times that day and prayed and gave thanks before his God, as was his custom since early days. Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were men of prayer. This was a habit of prayer, of a routine of prayer. But there were some of the Pharisees who would pray, let's say on your way to the temple or on your way to a synagogue or whatever, and you know, these are holy men and, and the other workers are about, out and about outside, and they would come up to a street corner and they would get praying out loud, oh God, I cannot wait until I get to the temple or even the synagogue, I must pray to you here right now, and they made a big scene. So all you know, the workers, the laborers, and the common people, oh wow, there's the holy guys, 
And they're all, you know, and they're ooing and on. Wow, they're so holy, they can't even wait uh, to get to the temple to pray. They have to pray right here out in the street in public. Jesus is saying that there are some of those whose motivation, they're not really talking to God or communicating in a deep, fervent prayer from the inside of their heart. They are acting the way they're acting so that all the people around them will go, wow, ooh, ah. And so God's up there going, he's not talking to me. <laughs> he just wants the attention of me. And then he gets it. And then Jesus says, that's all you're going to get. So Jesus is saying, don't pray that way. By the way, a beautiful definition of prayer is that it is a way of serving God. It is called the service of the heart. If I could say it this way, do you know that when you pray, you minister to the heart of the creator of the universe? Is that amazing? That you could move God, you can touch and move the heart of the creator of the universe? How? When you pray. Not publicly getting attention and applause of men, but when you do it in a private way where it's real, it's genuine. Anytime one of God's creation turns from this, you know, busyness of life on earth and survival and looks up to God and looks up to the Creator and looks up to the Lord and thinks about Him and talks to Him and shares privately from the heart, God is like, wow, Wow, out of all the planets and the stars and the galaxies, but here are these men and women made into my image. They're looking at me. God notices when you look at him. God notices when you turn your attention from the things of this life toward him. And, and he is blessed by it. He's touched by it. He's moved by it. It's a way of serving him and ministering him. So Jesus says, so because that's so moving to God, he, he tells us how to do it. Verse 6, he says, go into your room. Don't go, go outside and make a lot of noise and draw attention to yourself. Go into your room and go into the secret place. The word room used here was the word that was used for, you know, you have a house, so you go inside your house. You're not doing it for show. But even in your house, there's a room that was for, the, it was the storehouse. It's where the treasures of the home are kept. Jesus said there should be a storehouse or a treasure room where you have your private personal devotions with God. I wanna encourage you to have, do you have that place? I know some of you do. And, and some of you have a favorite room, you have a favorite place. Now, you may go sometimes inside, outside, or whatever, but you have one place that's kind of your go-to place. It's a favorite place. It may be a certain part of the sofa or a certain chair. And what, what Jesus says is that the Father is so excited that you're going to turn your heart toward him and turn attention to him and have a devotional time with him. He goes to your secret place and he's already filling it with his presence, and he can't wait for you to wake up and come spend time with him. That he's looking forward, here they come, and he's already there. He goes, look, he, she's waking up. Oh, there she goes, yeah, she's gotta get her coffee first, but she'll come eventually back, you know, or the tea or whatever it is. And there you come, and he's just like, oh, my son, my daughter, let's spend time together. So Jesus reminds us there are treasures waiting for us 
in our prayer room, in our storehouse, in our treasured place. But then he goes on, he says, and again, when you pray, don't use vain repetitions. Um, where you just are saying things, you know, over and over and over again. Um, even in a moment, we're going to talk about the first part of the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Do you know it's possible to memorize? It's a very short prayer. You can memorize the prayer. You can recite the prayer. And you can go through it so fast. And maybe you repeat it. And, and you think that now that's prayer. God's going to hear it because our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You get through it. But you're not actually thinking about what you're saying. You're just going through the motions of saying the words fast in order to get a result. God's going to bless me because I just recited something or said something. Vain repetition. So what, what is Jesus saying? Here's how I would translate it. Slow down. Every other religion and way have their little sayings, their little incantations, and it's all filled with a lot of vain repetition. They have their little chants and their little sayings, and they go through. He goes, no, this is a relationship. I want you to talk to me. I want you to share with me. Now, does this mean that we can't repeat a prayer? No. Remember when Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane? And he's literally going to the cross. And he prays, Father, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. I don't want to be crucified. I don't want to die. Is this, you know, I'm paraphrasing. Is there any other way for man to be saved than me going to the cross? If possible, let this cup of death pass. Nevertheless, not my will but thy will be done. And what's the Father's answer? No, son, there's no other way. But then Jesus prayed the same prayer again, a second time. Father, if it's possible, if there's any other way for man to be saved than me going to the cross and being crucified and dying, then let that way come. Nevertheless, not my will, but thy will be done. And the Father, no, son, there's no other way. A third time, Jesus prayed it again. It wasn't vain repetition. It was genuine, deep, personal, out-of-the-heart concern. And so Jesus, finally, the third time, not my will, but thy will be done. So the problem is not in repeating things. There may be things that are deep in your heart and important to you, and you repeat them, and you keep bringing them to the Lord. And by the way, God, you know, some people, oh, God didn't answer my prayers. Uh, no, he always answered them. Sometimes he prays, his answer is yes. Sometimes the answer is no. And sometimes the answer is wait. Yes, but not now. So any one of those can be a genuine answer. Here's what Jesus said don't do. Don't just vainly say things, recite things, go through the motions, vain babbling on and on and on and on. And the reason he says that is because your father already knows what you need before you even ask him. He knows, but he also knows you, and he knows what he has planned for you. And I want to say this to you. When you're in a difficult thing, a lot of times our prayers are really giving God advice on how we can get out of our problems. God, if you would do this, it would really help things along. And here's what I have found. God doesn't really need our advice or our help 
or our counsel or our ways. God has resources we know nothing about, but he allows us to weigh in. He allows us to share with him, to be honest with him, to make requests of him, but then in the end, we accept whatever answer he gives. And we say, Father, no matter what, I trust in you. And that secret place becomes a place of sweet treasures, sweet communion, and sweet lessons. God always has a strategy that will bring you victory in every situation of your life. Even now, whatever tight place you're in, I tell you and I speak to your spirit in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, God has a strategy that will bring peace, that will bring resolve, that will bring deliverance. Amen? He will do it. Okay, so finally in uh, verse 9, he says, In this manner, therefore pray, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. So I want to just say this. Jesus introduces us to prayer, and the very first concept he lays on us is our creator, God, is not only creator God, he is a loving father. Now, this is not a new concept, as the Jewish people have always understood that God is comparable to a loving father. For instance, um, in Exodus chapter 4, verse 22, this is what he said. Let's read it out loud. Thus says the Lord, Israel is my son, my firstborn. Now, eventually, God would say, I want to bring through Abraham a blessing to all the nations. But he had to start somewhere, so he started with the Jewish people. And he called that first nation that he saved, you are my son, which makes God the father. And you, Israel, are my firstborn. By the way, when a child is born, uh, children come with blood and with water. So the nation of Israel and the great exodus from Egypt were brought through blood and through water. But that's blood and water speak of a birth. And the birth speaks of a child, and a child has a father. God is our father. Let's go on to the next verse, Deuteronomy chapter 32. Again, this is the Old Testament, not just the New Testament. And so let's read this out loud together. Is he not your father who bought you? Has he not made you and established you? Remember the days of old. Consider the years of many generations. Ask your father, and he will show you. So here, right out of the beginning, in the, in the, right out of the gate, God is revealing to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and the nation, the Jewish people that came from him, is he not your father who bought you? I love that. God is, is not only God because he created you, but then we all ran away with Adam and, and sin and rebelled. And then, though he owned us because he made us, he then had to redeem us and buy us and purchase us back. Generally, wouldn't you say, if you make something and create something, it's yours? And that's kind of by law. I made it, it's mine. <laughs> but when you make it and it run away, runs away from you, Then you have to redeem it back. Now you're mine twice. I made you, and now I bought you, and you're mine, and I'm never going to let you go. And he says, and he, has he not made you and established you? Ask your fathers. 
that God is our Father, the one that is in heaven. Now, when we are to pray, Jesus then says, this is how you are to begin to pray, our Father who art in heaven. The new covenant consistently tells us to direct our prayers. How do we pray? Because you've got God the Father, and Jesus is God the Son, God manifest in the flesh, and the Holy Spirit is equal to God and was in the beginning creating everything by the power of the Spirit. So who do we pray to? How do we pray? To whom do we direct our prayers? Jesus taught us to pray to the Father in his name through the Holy Spirit. There's a verse I didn't get to put into your notes or forgot to put in there, so if you want to write it down, you can. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 18. We are to direct our prayers when we pray, generally, to the Father, but we come through the work of the Son and in the name of Jesus and by the presence and the power and the glory of the Holy Spirit. That's how we pray. And Jesus then adds, our Father, hallowed, holy be thy name. His name is to be kept holy. Even before you get into all your prayers and all of your needs and all of our requests, we are to honor the name of the Lord. Names in the Bible are more than just identification lines. Okay, your name is Bob and you're Tim or you're Sally or whatever. Names reflect character. Every Hebrew name in the Bible has a meaning. So the name has a meaning in the Hebrew language that, that identifies. For instance, Abram. Okay, he's the guy that God started with, Abram. He made a promise to Abram. Abram believed in God. It was reckoned to him as righteousness. What does the name Abram mean? Abram literally means exalted father. Did you know that? Abram means exalted father. Here's the irony, though. Abram grew up and, and, until he was old, and for years he had no children. Can you imagine that's your name? Hey, there goes exalted father. <laughs> Everybody's laughing because he's got no kids. But that's his name, exalted father. Then God in his old age gives him a child. And now God says, I'm changing your name from Abram, which means exalted father, to Abraham. And Abraham means not only you're an, an exalted father, I've given you a miracle son in your old age, but Abraham means the father of many nations. So that name of Abram to Abraham, the father of many nations, through him would come the Messiah and all the nations of the earth that would come to salvation through Jesus Christ, fulfilling his name. So the name of the Lord is to be kept unique and apart and holy the way that we, when we begin our prayers, holy is your name. Baruch atah Adonai, blessed are you, O Lord. Reminding of us that we have a responsibility to honor God's name and, and to give holiness to his name and to bless him before any other prayers are offered. Amen? Okay, so now let's go to verse 10. Our Father in heaven, hallowed holy be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Jesus' first petition teaches us to focus on the coming kingdom. 
So by praying, your kingdom come, at the very beginning of our prayers is to remind us that prayer is not merely a list of all our personal requests and needs, but prayer is about you and I being called to be involved in helping establish the kingdom of heaven right here on the earth through our prayers, through our giving, through our repentance, through the way that we live our lives. The reality of the kingdom of God is truly the main theme of the entire Bible. There is a kingdom, there is a government, there is a king, and he is the king of all kings and the Lord of all lords. Now, whatever may happen in our lives and whatever events may take place in the world, we are to pray in such a way that we are in alignment with the heart of God for the kingdom of heaven to come to the earth through the Messiah, the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's important to note that the kingdom is already established in heaven. He, he, it's not like he's going to be the king. He is the king right here, right now, today. Amen? He is king now. He rules now. He reigns now. His authority is now. It's established in the heavens now. And every knee will bow on earth. Every tongue will confess Jesus Christ is Lord. So there's an aspect where it's already there. It's already established with all power and authority, and it is coming to the earth. We're to be praying for it, anticipating, getting in line with it, every prayer and every request. But the kingdom of God will come from heaven. It's already on its way, and there's not a thing the world can do to stop it. It's coming. And the governments of the world can't stop it. The armies of the world can't stop it. The devil can't stop it. The Antichrist can't stop it. The kingdom of God and the kingdom of heaven is coming. And we're to be centered in our prayers on that kingdom to align our lives and, and then to reorient all of our choices, our actions, our prayers, our giving, our deeds, and everything is to be in alignment with that glorious and heavenly kingdom. And I leave you with this thought that prayer, when we pray, our Father who art in heaven, the Bible tells us that we are, who are saved are in Christ Jesus. And Ephesians tells us that we're actually seated with Christ in heavenly places. So what, what I want to say to you is that in the spiritual realm, because you are spirit, as well as not just physical and not just you have a soul, a mind and intellect and emotions. You are a spiritual being. And as a child of God, I tell you on the authority of God's word, you are in two places at the same time. You are not only physically here on earth, but you are already with Christ, seated with him in heavenly places. So let me put it this way. Every time we pray in the name of Jesus, you literally are supernaturally passing from the mere window of earth into heaven. Prayer is spending time in heaven, in the atmosphere of the glory of God before the throne as you are seated in Christ. We don't have to wait till heaven to enjoy being in heaven, to experience it, to let it begin transforming us as we pray to our Father in the name of the Son, by the power of the Holy Spirit. It begins changing us. Prayer is a door 
through which we truly enter heaven, spend time in heaven, and are conformed into the image of Jesus Christ. So the secret place is a very precious and special place. But here's a problem. And the problem is that I know that there are many of us, well, let's put it another way. All of us, how many would admit you, your earthly father, that's, you had to have an earthly father, that's how you got here. How many would admit your earthly father was not perfect? Let me see, raise your hands. Hmm. Okay, so here's the problem. Do you know that, do you know what is used in your life for your first image of God? Is your father. Now, some of you have good fathers and good dads, or to a degree, that's great. What if you have one that was, who abandoned you, or even worse, abused you? Our first image of God can become tainted with a, a broken father image. And if you have a broken father upbringing, background, and image, it makes it very difficult for you to then read, oh, we have a wonderful, loving God who is all for us and loves us and wants to bless us. Hard to get through that. But let's say you've heard the gospel and you believe in Jesus Christ and you know that God is creator and that he is my father. You know the Lord's prayer. But on some level, you've never really been able to break through and enter into it. So I want to share with you something that's very, very important. Every believer must come to a time and to a place because of that damage and that it's like carrying a wound around. And, and prayer is hindered uh, until that wound is healed. God wants to heal that, if I can call it a father wound, from our imperfect fathers. How do I get healed? How do I get made whole so that I can enter into this relationship with God? Because the Bible says not only is he our father, but in Romans 8 it says, we have been given the spirit of adoption where we cry out, Abba. Everybody say, Abba. Abba. Abba is what every little Jewish boy and girl calls dad. Literally, Abba, you know, if you're in a Hebrew context or a Jewish-speaking context, or Abba, 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 and they're pulling on them, and, and a little child can run right into the office in the midst of the biggest and most important meeting in the world and go, Abba, and everything stops for the little boy or for the little girl. Power. There's power in that name when it's your child when it is your little son or your little daughter, and they say, Abba, I need you now. Everything else can stop. That's the spirit we have been given. Abba in English is daddy. Everybody say daddy or dad. So dad, when you pray, do you know how, you know, as a pastor, I listen and I hear as other people pray, and so often what I hear is, dear God, that's okay, that's real, that's true, and he is but that's not who he is. That's not the fullness of who he is to you. Your prayer life, I want to encourage some of you to begin. Don't just pray, dear God or dear Lord, but dear dad, dear father, dear Abba, dear daddy. I'm going to, I'm going to ask that there be a healing and the breakthrough. I want you to start using the name because the character, it will it will, I, I, trust me, when you start using the words dad, daddy, abba, father in your prayers, you'll feel stuff start moving and shaking and melting and reorienting and popping inside of your spirit because that's who we're made to be. 
And until you, by faith, begin entering into that, the secret place won't be quite as special until you do. So I want to ask all of you to bow your heads and close your eyes for just a moment. And I want you to, and this is for everybody. It's a good reminder and refresher for all of us. But here's, you, you say, okay, what, how do I get through this? I'm ready to, okay, I'm going to begin to pray like Jesus said. Father, Abba, Daddy, Dad. But what do I do with my earthly father and this hang-up of the hurts and wounds of the past? There's one key of supernatural deliverance that will change you forever. Here's what you need to do. You need and I need to forgive our dads. And I want to say this too. Forgiveness is not feeling good about past hurts, wounds, or abuses. A lot of people think that's forgiveness when I'm, you know, oh, I feel okay about it. No, that is, that's not what we're talking about. Forgiveness is a choice that you make out of obedience. You just, and here's what Jesus said. You want to be forgiven of everything? Because if you're not forgiven of everything, you ain't going into the kingdom of heaven. You have to be forgiven of everything. Okay, yes, Lord, I want to be forgiven of every dark, you know, the worst horrible thing that I've done. Okay, I forgive you of everything, but here's the deal. You must forgive others everything. No negotiations. No withholdings. It must be absolute, complete forgiveness. You have to make a choice. You have to decide and to make a choice. And what does it mean to forgive? This is all it means. You stop being judge. When you judge and you say, yeah, but it was wrong. Okay, right. But when you play judge, you're playing God and you are not God. I think you know that. We don't get to play God and we don't get to judge them. And by the way, you don't know everything about your dad. And you don't know what happened when he was raised, or you may have heard a little bit, but look, guess what? He had a dad who wasn't perfect. And guess what? He had a grandpa who wasn't perfect. And then a great grandpa. And the Bible says the sins of the father are passed down one, two, three, four generations. You might have got the effects of four generations of brokenness. But you could be the first one in your family to break the pattern. And how you break it is by choosing to be obedient and to say, I stop being judge of my dad. God, I forgive him. I don't know all the reasons that made him the way he was or what he did or why he did it, but I'm going to stop being judge. I'm going to stop playing God. I release him. I give him to you. And I choose to forgive. So I wanted, I'm going to lead us in a prayer. I'm going to ask you, I guess, to trust me as I lead us collectively to, to pray out loud to deal with this issue so we can really enter into praying our Father who art in heaven and go to a new realm of prayer. So would you pray with me after this manner? Dear Father, I acknowledge you're my heavenly dad. You are even my Abba, my daddy. I want to know you in a fresh way. As my perfect spiritual father. But I pray you would heal my heart. 
all of the wounds, all of the hurts from my imperfect father. I choose this day in the name of Jesus to stop playing judge of my dad. I am no longer his judge and I will not play God in his life. I give him to you. I release him to you. And I trust you with my dad. But you are my heavenly father. And I want to know you personally and have intimacy with you as my heavenly father without fear and without shame. Lead me and guide me by the Holy Spirit to enter a new realm of prayer and relationship and intimacy with you. Thank you, Father, for hearing my prayer, and I know you will answer it in Jesus' wonderful name. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. That's good. That's good. Let's all stand, shall we? Thank you for listening to this podcast from Maranatha Chapel. If you haven't already, please subscribe for weekly messages. Feel free to share this podcast and join us for our weekend services held Saturday evening or Sunday morning. Visit our website at www.maranathachapel.org for more information.